Welcome to the podcast of the Roy Dennis Wildlife Foundation, working on the restoration of species at home and abroad. This week, white-tailed eagles. In June this year, Roy and his team, working with Forestry England, moved six chicks from nests here in the Scottish Highlands to the south of England. Now, take care. You will do. They're off to Alawite now. The birds are all fed. They're all ready. They'll stop every three hours and check the birds over and then catch the ferry across the Isle of Wight in the morning. And in August, they flew out over the Isle of Wight, a bird that hadn't bred in England for 240 years. Oh, God! But exciting as that was, it was just the first stage of a five-year project, aiming to release 60 chicks in all. Because the real excitement for me is when they survive four or five years and start to breed, the kind of end point of the next stage is the survival of the young through to adulthood. When I heard that eagles were to be seen in the skies over England, I pictured them wheeling lazily overhead like buzzards on a summer's day. In fact, amazingly, for birds so big, their day-to-day habits make them very elusive. White eagles do you do take it to an extreme, you know, sitting around for hours, especially young birds who are scavenging. They're spectacular birds, but uh, you do have to put the time in to find them sometimes. In this week's podcast, we'll be looking at how different species interact with the eagles as they find their place in the English landscape. They're just keeping himself to himself and perching up quietly and then making these flights over the fields. But fantastic to see. And asking how our biggest bird of prey, even satellite tagged, can simply blend in. As County Recorder, I receive uh, calls all the time from non-birders and birders uh, reporting their sightings, and I had a call from a birder. Very excited. Ian Lewington lives in Oxfordshire. Saying he couldn't believe it. I've just been walking and uh, had a white-tailed eagle fly over, not very high. These small birds were following it, he said, and the small birds were eight red kites. They in themselves are, are enough to make people stop and stare, aren't they, normally? Yes. And they're really low and people notice them. Um, And yeah, when they were first introduced in the 90s here, you know, they were a striking addition to the avifauna of Oxfordshire. But it's got even bigger now (laughs) with the uh, white-tailed eagle. I assumed that it would probably be one of the Isle of Wight birds, knowing that one had already been to Essex and back. And it transpired later that day, I was sent a couple of photos from people watching a, a, a kid's football match in the village and had had this huge bird fly over that it must have been, you know, most people don't notice any birds or non-birders don't. It was so striking to them. They took pictures of it on their phone and sent them to me. And they were awful pictures, but there was one big spot with half a dozen little spots with it. And that was G393 from the Isle of Wight. Roy Dennis has worked on white-tailed eagle reintroductions since 1968. After Culver, another of the six chicks released, made a mammoth journey to London and back, this is the bird to have roamed the furthest from the island. This bird, G393, that went to the New Forest. And what we found, you know, even right back into the earlier projects, that some wander and some don't. And you're always hoping they're going to stay at home because then you can watch them and keep an eye on them. Nowadays, of course, they have radios, so usually we can follow them. But, you know, even radios fail. Um, but this bird went into the new forest and it was very possible it would just come back to the Isle of Wight, but it didn't. It slowly one day set off 
there were a lot of days of a lot of kind of rain and poor weather and they don't move in that sort of day and then suddenly you get a really sunny day and I suppose you just felt well I think I'll go and have a wander around because there is a value in wandering around because you learn where you are and so he went north and ended up in Oxfordshire. It was probably a week later Steve from the Roy Dennis Foundation phoned up and said oh did you know we'd like to tell you that you have a white-tailed eagle in the county. I said, I know. <laughs> it's, it's already been reported by some football supporters. You know, they'd tracked it and it had uh, it'd taken up residence in a, an estate and it had been there several days. Obviously, I found a food source and then it moved 10 kilometres to another area and then moved another 10 kilometres to another area because th- these were sh- shooting estates stuffed full of pheasants. So there's probably uh, some roadkill and uh, that the eagle was probably feeding on and all not that far from Oxford and, w- you know, wasn't seen at all. Well, one of the keepers uh, where the bird was present for four or five days, I think he was pleased. Well, you know, just uh, intrigued, uh, surprised to see it really, because uh, he didn't, he wasn't aware of the introduction program. And he was out on his quad bike all day, every day, and didn't see it. Well, he saw it once, and that was on the road eat, eating roadkill, and it nearly got hit by a lorry. So uh, he never saw it in the air or in, in any of the trees on the estate at all and he was out all the time so it's amazing how such a large bird can remain undetected by you know people who are outdoors all the time. Dr Alan Mee is the project manager of the Irish white-tailed eagle reintroduction which released 100 birds over five years from 2007. Since 2012 birds have been breeding in the wild with 26 chicks fledged so far. They really are sitting with birds, uh, you know, like golden eagles that are kind of hunt, cruising the landscape, uh, looking for prey. These are sitting around digesting food if they've eaten recently. They are also kleptoparasites. They chase other birds for food. They take off them, steal off them. Um, so, yeah, like bald eagles in North America, they're very similar. They just sit around uh, and because they're sitting around doing nothing for hours until they need to hunt again, they can be very, very inconspicuous. You know, large birds of prey do sit around for quite a while, and and some birds of prey need nice thermals to get going, and you know, and maybe late morning before they really get up and start cruising around, um, and that's especially the case with vultures. But um, white illegals do you do take it to an extreme, you know, sitting around for hours, um, really, uh, you know, hunting when they need to, especially young birds who are scavenging, looking for dead stuff. You know, they're out there sitting around, then they find something dead after maybe cruising around for an hour or two and they might be sitting on that for a couple of hours eating and then they're digesting over the next few hours so yeah they're spectacular birds but uh, you do have to put the time in to find them sometimes. We tend to think of them as the Isle of Wight eagles but of course they won't be the Isle of Wight eagles necessarily for long or are you expecting most of your birds to come back to where they were released? We had a 2008 bird that went all the way to Westry in the Orkney Islands in 2009, you know, spent um, eight months away before returning back to the southwest of Ireland. Funny if that, trans- that transmitter on that bird was actually our first transmitter given to us by Roy. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I have to blame Roy because in the following year, it looked like it was heading back to Scotland and the transmitter stopped. So we 
don't quite know whether I suspect it went back to Scotland, but in the following year it was it was part of a uh, its first territorial pair in the southwest of Ireland. So you have to be magnanimous when they disappear for a while, and then they they do generally come back. We do, yeah, and uh, I guess, and <laughs> they do generally come back. We've had so eight birds um, now. They've dispersed at least eight birds that we know into Scotland, including one now that's breeding on the west coast of Scotland and a young bird that's in the north of England at the moment. So that's that's one of the more surprising ones, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. This bird, um, you know, it's it's dispersed uh, north from its breeding site on the west of Ireland in Connemara, uh, quite a remote spot, uh, crossed from Donegal across Northern Ireland into Scotland in early May this year, uh, headed across south of Glasgow and Edinburgh to the east coast and then south. And that bird that went to Northumberland, I guess it's it's reflected the experience that we've had with the eagles in the Isle of Wight, that it, they can be in the landscape and very few people notice them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So uh, all our birds, as well as initially they had radio tags and some of our birds now um, have satellite tags, but all the birds are wing-tagged. And this bird in Northumberland, we haven't had a single report of that wing-tagged bird ever since it's left uh, Connemara, you know. So five months in Northumberland, you think going to get reported but no it's just disappeared into the uplands you know so yeah for a big bird um they're incredible uh we know going even going out finding birds we know in there in an area that can be quite tricky you know you can be lucky get a bird on the wing but sometimes they're just out there sitting around for hours and ian lewington the oxfordshire bird recorder knows how that feels he set out confidently enough armed with the satellite data it, it was funny, really, because I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. Steve and Tim have told me precisely where it is. And so a great big bird sat in a tree or flying around. I'm going to, you know, it's going to be dead easy. And I got to the site and traipsed around. I couldn't find it. I phoned them up and said, I can't find it. And they said, that's not surprising. It's moved 800 yards. So I went to that location and uh, couldn't find it. And in the meantime, I, I guess it had moved again a little way because it was meant to be in a bare field. So I thought it was going to be easy to find. And I just drove around and pulled in this little field entrance and got out of the car to phone Tim and Steve. And it was in the tree above me. I flushed it and it flew out, <laughs> made me jump. I got a few photos of it. And yeah, and it was a really nice day and it thermaled up. That was the other thing I was expecting, wherever it would be, it would be followed by an entourage of birds going mad at it, you know, corvids or, but there weren't any corvids with it when it was in the tree, it just took off. But as soon as it got in the air, immediately there were half a dozen eight kites with it and they thermaled up and I watched it go right up, but then it came back down to this estate. So it obviously liked it. And then I've seen it a couple of other times since then once it did the same but it thermaled up with maybe a flock of 30 or 40 jackdaws and rooks till it got to such a, a height that they dropped away and it carried on going up it was really high and i thought it was probably going to be on its way back to the isle of wight but i left it you know i watched it until i couldn't see it anymore and then later on when the tracking data came back it had gone back to the, the same estate again so it obviously liked it there. We talk a lot about how amazing it is that white-tailed eagles can go unobserved by humans and we heard when Culver went to London and beyond that very few people even noticed him. Obviously they don't go unobserved by birds. 
I always used to say one of the best ways to see raptors really high in the sky was to watch the ducks. And they would all cock their head and look <laughs> up. And then you'd look up with binoculars and there would be this dot. But these white-tailed eagles, when they travel around England, the local birds see them immediately. I love the picture that was sent to me of two magpies, which look like budgerigars compared to the size of the white-tailed eagle. And they were there just standing a couple metres away. And what they were doing was waiting for that eagle to tear up the carcass of the carrion, the dead deer, and then they would get some food. A magpie in Oxfordshire would never have seen a white-tailed eagle, presumably. No. No, these birds are seeing something for the first time. And remember that there were no kites there 30 years ago. And suddenly they're part of the fabric of that landscape. And so they start doing the things that happened thousands and thousands of years ago. So you're putting back the bits of the jigsaw and they fit together like a jigsaw. So adding the white-tailed eagle is just part of that kind of restructuring the relationship between these birds. Interesting, isn't it? Because I would look at that and assume the small bird was intimidated by the big bird, but it doesn't see it as a threat to itself at all. No, no, they don't catch magpies. They're not clever enough to catch kites or anything. What they know is that that is a carrion eater that would break up a carcass that they can't get into. So all of these birds are doing that. The red kites, they see an eagle come in and they're all after it. And they all circle round it and kind of play, you know, beautifully in the air. But the intention is not to drive it away. The intention is, where are you feeding? And then the crows and the magpies and the jays and the kites and the buzzards join in. They're a kind of a society of carrion eaters from small to big. Project officer Steve Egerton-Reed and the foundation's Tim McCrill spend a day translating satellite data into their own sightings of G393 and the birds around it. Well, we've now got our second sighting of the bird who's been flying around with an entourage of jackdaws. But they've now left him and he's just drifting around overhead. And a really interesting thing, it's quite obvious from his behaviour that he's just looking around for carrion. Yeah, they've got this fantastic eyesight and the bird's drifting around, seeing what might be lying dead in the fields to pick up. And occasionally the kites will come up and give him a bit of hassle and the buzzards are doing the same. But he's kind of just keeping himself to himself and perching up quietly and then making these flights over the fields. But fantastic to see. Steve, you must be pleased to see him. God, well, we've sort of been speculating about how he might be behaving in this landscape, but to actually come out and see it and and see him pick something up dead in the field earlier and now see him doing the same thing again later on really shows. Just shows you how important, you know, carrion is for the birds in their first winter before they learn to hunt really efficiently like the adults can it's obviously going to be how they how they kind of live in the landscape yeah and the great thing is is that he's obviously following the kites and the buzzards and and the crows as well and he's going to check out what they're checking out and of course they're looking for the same things anyway they're looking for for carrion too so if they find something he'll find it and he's a lot bigger than them
Ian Lewington in Oxfordshire also sees things working the other way round. Young white-tailed eagles drawn to an area by the sight of other scavengers. When I spoke with Tim and Steve, it was eating a bit of a pheasant that a kite had been on and whether it actually steals food from kites and whether it's hanging around here is uh, possibly partly due to the number of kites here and the fact that they're leading it to carcasses because my last sighting of the eagle was on a roe deer carcass in the middle of a field there were kites always with it waiting at one side along with corvids and magpies and crows obviously the, the the hierarchy of dining was was illustrated well there it's interesting to know that you know, we've got such a high density of kites here that could have some reasoning by why the the eagles hang around for so long but interaction between birds is not always benign alan me of the irish white-tailed eagle reintroduction we found like in one case where a golden eagle took um, a white eagle out and the only reason we found that out was because uh, even though it was a satellite type bird we knew it was kind of stationary for a while didn't know why but then we find that a group of walkers had come across this bird they were just out walking and this eagle came crashing through the trees apparently taken out by the resident pair of golden eagles but that bird survived uh, lived to tell the tale Uh, but we had We've had another white tail eagle has been killed by another adult female, apparently just to get into to take over that breeding territory. So, yeah, nature can be pretty harsh. And of course, because they're wild birds, you have to accept that things happen to them. And as we heard earlier in the podcast, you know, one of the sea eagles was was nearly apparently killed by a lorry in Oxfordshire. Things will go wrong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Things do go wrong and yeah, everything in some ways, everything that can go wrong will go wrong. But I guess that's where when you're releasing, I guess, a population, sometimes you have to have a critical mass of birds, you know, um, that can withstand those losses because it's going to happen. Um, I know you in the Isle of Wight are looking to release, um, you know, quite a few birds over a number of years and uh, sometimes people ask, why do you need to release so many birds? But, you know, first year birds, you, you, you're going to lose at least a quarter, third of those birds in the first year because just birds don't make it. That's really high. It is high. But I guess the critical thing for all these populations, certainly long-lived birds like white-tailed eagles, is keeping the adult mortality very low, usually as low as 5%, um, because losing adults from breeding, breeding populations is a much more a bigger effect than losing juveniles. Isn't it interesting, once you take humans out of the picture, so I look at birds and think about my response to that bird and how I feel about it. When we did the podcast about Culver, it was very much about people's response to a mighty bird overhead. But then when you start looking at other birds in that jigsaw, it becomes even more interesting and humans actually almost fall to one side. But look at our ancient ancestors bringing down a mammoth and starting to cut it up in a great tribe of people. There'd be white-tailed eagles and ravens and kites and crows and magpies. So some of these relationships go back very, very far into ancient history. Because we've had, you know, the Red Kite Introduction Programme, I'm just intrigued to see what happens, really. So, yeah, you know, having seen the Red Kites 
be introduced and it was there was lots of secrecy and wondering how it would go no one could have predicted how well they've done and i think it's just because of humanity that they've done amazingly well you know we provide so much food for them by way of uh, uh, roadkill and landfill you know i spend a lot of time in my local tip looking at gulls and uh, you know often there's 45 red kites in there so they um, they do well out of our landfills and then ploughed fields and in, in post-harvest you can often see 10 or 20 red kites following a plough like you used to see gulls so they're definitely doing well because of us and so now I'd be interested to see how well the eagles do. This should be a long story then, tracking these birds' progress not just as individuals but as a breeding population and with that comes unpredictability as Alan Mee can testify. You do get to know the birds individually over the years, you know, as you release them and some birds obviously you've known throughout their life. Um, we have um, one satellite tag bird released in 2009 where the tag is still going after 11 years, you know, so so you, you develop a real connection with the birds. But uh, I think people in, out here, especially in the release areas like in Killarney and the southwest of Ireland, you know, it did become their birds, you know. Um, I guess one of the things we had to live with was, even though a lot of the effort was put into releasing the birds down, including funds to get the project up and running in southwest of Ireland, was our first breeders didn't actually breed there. They actually bred in kind of mid-waste on a, in a lake in County Clare. So I guess people in, in the Killarney area and in Kerry had to be pretty philosophical about, you know, sharing the birds, sharing the glory with, uh, with elsewhere in Ireland. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with somebody else, particularly if they don't know about the work that Roy and his team are doing. All our previous podcasts are on the website www.roydennis.org. And credit for the music, Realness, goes to Kai Engel and it's downloadable from the Free Music Archive. <laughs>